0: So, we've all heard the phrase, right? Um, outside of the box. Outside of the box. She thinks outside of the box. It's a out of the box idea. It's this. It's this phrase that um, talks about something being unconventional, right? something that um, isn't part of the norm. It's not the regular way of thinking or doing things, it's out of the box, it's a new way, it's its something that is um, been up till now unexplored or unattempted, and uh, there's good things about out of the box kind of thinking. Now boxes have their place, there's nothing wrong with boxes in this kind of thing, boxes give form to things, they create some boundaries, they they give us um, the the kind of playing field that we're going to be involved in, and so forth. So there are some good things about boxes; they're they're important, but they can also become unnecessarily restrictive or stifling. Sometimes boxes really choke out life and creativity. We all have them. We all have those things that we do within the box. Maybe it's in your workplace, or maybe it's in your um, family life, or maybe it's in finances, or whatever it might be. We all have those those boxes that we function within, but the worst box of all is the box we try to put God in. When we try to put God in, in a box, our box. We make a huge mistake. God doesn't fit into our boxes. And one of the problems with putting anything in a box, particularly God, is all of the stuff that we leave out. So the image I had in this was, it would be like taking a box, driving down to the shore going on to the beach, filling the box with sand, right? taking the box home, putting it in your front yard, and saying, I never have to go to the shore again because I've got the shore right there in the box. Right? That's what we do with God. There is so much more to God than what we have in our box. There's so much to the sh- more to the shore than a box of sand. So we're in this series right now that we're looking at what happened following Easter. So that's not the, you know, Jesus being risen from the dead wasn't the end of the story. It's, it's the beginning of the next chapter of God's redemptive work in human history. And so we're looking at what happened after Jesus' resurrection 2,000 years ago, and what's it have to say to us today. So last week we looked at the story of... Um, Uh, the Emmaus Road, and these two guys who were uh, leaving Jerusalem, going back to their home village um, on Easter Day. Today's story takes place 50 days after that experience. It's the story of Pentecost. And as I have been reading and reflecting on that portion of Scripture, what has struck me is the things that are in play In this account of what took place. So, three things in particular that that we see here Um, working together. We see the fueled by the Holy Spirit and informed by Scripture or by God's Word to launch this transformative community called the church. So, it's the power of the resurrected Jesus. The Apostle Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14 said, the Christ, If Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is youth, use, useless. Not useless, useless. If Christ hasn't risen, there is no Christianity. The heart, the essence of the Christian faith is the resurrected Christ. Apart from the resurrected Christ, we have in the reality of the resurrected Jesus to us, for us, it's a reminder to us that God has forgiven us of our sin. He's extended to us his grace for this life and for the life to come. It's the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And that power then fueled by the Holy Spirit. So this third person of the Godhead, this Holy Spirit, brings animation, brings energy, brings life to this faith that we have in Christ. And then we have God's word that gives us um, an understanding of who God is far beyond any box that we might have the expression of who God is, and how God worked in the past and what God expects of us. The power of the resurrected Jesus, fueled by the Holy Spirit, informed by the Word of God, created this transformational community called the church. So I want to look at that with you. Um, We're going to go through uh, a chunk of... The book of Acts, the second chapter, that describes this experience called Pentecost. Talk about an out-of-the-box experience. You know, this is, this is freaky stuff. This is stuff that, like if it happened right now, it would freak you out. You'd lose your mind. So, uh, I want to start with the verse 1 through verse 8. And the words will be on the screen. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was the sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. How can this be? They exclaimed, these people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native tongues. So I want to pause there. We have this group of Christ followers. Who are meeting uh, in a house is what we're told. So it's um, there's about 120 uh, of these Christ followers. So it's not just the 12 disciples. It's it's this larger group of uh, men and women who are following Christ, and they're uh, they're in this house meeting together. One of the things that is become um, a trend in our country and in our culture among church folk, among people who um, are devout uh, church folk, is that we meet less and less together or on less and less occasion. It used to be um, when Randy was growing up back, um, way back then, right? (laughs) Um, I bet, Randy, you had perfect attendance pins, didn't you, for Sunday school? Yes, that was a thing. Um, So, you know, to miss two weeks in a year was kind of a big deal and and anything much more than that, and they were worried about you. Um, So a regular attending family or individual would attend 48 to 52 times a year. Today, somebody who considers themselves a, a regular attender um, maybe showing up more like forty times a year or thirty five times a year we're we 're showing up less and less, and I think there is something important and valuable about just showing up about being together. I have seen, and I think maybe you many of you have seen the power of being together in community it 's it's amazing what God does. Jesus said, "Wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I am in their midst." In some unique and powerful way, the Spirit of Christ shows up when we meet together. And so I think these times that we get together on Sunday mornings are important time, but not just Sunday mornings. And one of the reasons that we so value the small group ministry at Hope is that it's an other, it are, yeah it's other opportunities for us to get together, to be together to learn from each other, to encourage each other, to challenge each other, to pray for God-given gifts in that kind of community setting. So all of these good things that we miss out on when we fail to get together. So these guys were, they just got together. We don't know what they were doing. They were just sitting around. I suspect that they were um, spending time in prayer. I'm, I'm sure prayer was part of it. Maybe they were uh, reading the scriptures together. Maybe they were singing, you know, doing some worship stuff. Maybe they were enjoying food together and telling stories of their uh, times with Jesus. Um, whatever it was they were doing, they were, they were spending time together. And they had this instruction from Jesus, don't do anything until the Holy Spirit shows up. Don't do anything until the Holy Spirit shows up. So they're just waiting. They're they're biding their time, waiting for the Holy Spirit. And it's out of the box. I mean, this isn't like normal stuff. The Holy Spirit shows up in the most dramatic kind of way. Winds blowing, flames shooting through, Holy Spirit landing on people. It's wild. It's a wild scene. And they're freaked Well, it doesn't say they're freaked out actually. They're they're just taking this whole thing in. They're having this experience uh, and it it had to be a little freaky. I mean, come on. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And, and really, it's in essence that's it's pretty self-explanatory, right? The, the Spirit of God, the third person in this um, Trinity of God. So we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit of God, God's presence in the world, settles on each believer. So we have this Spirit of God dwelling in us. That's the nature of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit becomes kind of um, this tracking system that God plants in each of us who believe. That orients us toward himself. If you have claimed Christ as your own, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. So the Holy Spirit comes and it settles within each of the disciples. And they begin to speak a foreign language that they don't know. This is so cool. I still, I think, hold the record from the university I graduated from for taking Spanish one the most number of times. I could not learn Spanish to save my life. So to be, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit and then just be able to speak Spanish would be awesome. Like I've asked God for that, especially when I was in college. You know, God, just do that. Um, They just begin to have this ability to speak these foreign languages um, which is pretty crazy, pretty amazing. And it gets even crazier. So they go running out of the house where they are into the streets of Jerusalem and they begin to speak in animated ways about the risen christ and the people who are here so apparently the crowd gathered because they heard the loud banging from what happened in this house so they're in a city kind of environment so things are close tight in and so they heard this noise they they heard this commotion and you know as people will do Um, especially because they didn't have earbuds in, so they actually heard things that were going on around them. Um, They come running into wherever this sound uh, took place and have this group of people who are speaking in a language that they understand. And I had, again, as I was reflecting on this scripture, I was remembering a year ago, Marilyn and I were in uh, Israel, and uh, and spent some time in Jerusalem, and uh, I remember this one day that we were touring around, and we were at this old, um, ancient, you know, church uh, type building. I don't remember what it was. There are a lot of old buildings in Jerusalem. I couldn't keep track, but I remember we we're with our group of I don't know, twenty of us or however many there were, um, and the the guide is talking about this old building. But what I was noticing was that we we're in this kind of, almost like a park, uh, type area. This this uh, area with trees and sidewalks and so forth. So our group was there. Our guide's talking to us um, in English, but off to one side there was another group, and uh, they were Korean. And so their Talking to a group that was, I think, French or Jer- eh, French. Um, and they're praying in their language. And there was another group, I didn't know the language, but they're singing. You know, they're kind of clustered together and they're singing in their language. And I thought, this is kind of cool. We're all Christians, we're all having this common experience, but we can't communicate it about it because we don't speak each other's language. So God set this thing up that he wanted the people who were from all over the world to hear the presentation of himself in a language that they could understand, in a way that they could understand it. And people are trying to figure out what's going on here. They're watching this thing, and and they're trying to figure it out. It's so out of the box that they're trying to figure out what is happening here. What is happening here? All right. So, verse 12 and 13 says this. They, meaning the crowd, they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk. They're trying to get it back in the box, right? Like, how, how do we explain this? This is crazy. This, how do we explain this? Well, you know, the cynic, the skeptic looks at this, and, you know, there's always these folks that are like, Eff. they're stoned, they're drunk they out of their minds. What's that? Going to trade mics? You understand again? Hello, hello, we dazzled, there it is, probably not, yeah, no, I think we're good, oh, for the podcast, okay. For all you listening on podcast, Marilyn just gave me a new microphone, and it was good. All right, so uh, they're dismissing it as drunk, we're, they're trying to understand, they're trying to conceptualize what's going on, they're trying to put it into a box that they understand. And we do the same thing. You know, when something, when God does something outside of the norm, we want to dismiss it. We want to explain it away. Because it's hard for us to recognize that God is so much bigger than the box that we want to put him in the ways that we want God to behave. And when we do that, we miss out on so much more that God can and wants to do. For the next 25 verses then, Peter goes to the Scriptures and Begins to interpret them. The words of the prophets and so forth. In light of the resurrected Jesus. So all of the things that God has said through the prophets. And the things that God has done. That that you've learned about your whole life. Was all leading up to this moment. That the And it was powerful, this whole crowd of people is captivated by Peter teaching the scriptures in a way that is new, it sounds familiar, it's, it, the words are familiar, but the context and the interpretation now have this new meaning in light of Jesus, the resurrected Messiah. The word of God is powerful. When we interpret it in light of the resurrected Jesus, it's powerful. It makes a difference in people's lives. Again, you know, sometimes I think we have too limited a view and understanding of the Scriptures and what the power um, fueled by the Holy Spirit can do through the Scriptures. A couple of quick stories. Um, a neighbor of ours. Um, had their, the, the neighbor family had their mother visiting with them. So uh, the wife of this couple, her mother was visiting. They're from India. And uh, so at that time I had a dog and that family had a dog and the mom was out walking their, her family's dog. And uh, we got talking and uh, it turns out she's a physician. And then she heard I was a pastor, and she said, oh, let me tell you my story. She said, um, I serve, uh, I have, a my medical practice is in a city, but a couple of times a month I go into small villages where people are very poor and, and do uh, bring my medical experience into this village, and go. Uh, people pay me whatever they're able to pay me. And uh, so years ago, there was a man um, who I was able to help, and he was so grateful, but he felt so bad because he didn't have anything to be able to compensate me. And I was fine with that, but he said, no, no, I, I want to give you something. And he said, I have this most amazing book that I'd like to give to you. And it was a copy, she said, of the New Testament. And she thanked him, but she had no interest really um, but she was intrigued and began to read the Gospel of Matthew. And she was totally intrigued now by Jesus. And so she read the Gospel of Mark and Luke and John. And she said, I, I fell in love with Jesus. And I became a Christian. My family thinks I'm crazy, but, but uh, it, it changed my heart. Wow, what a great story. Thank you. Well, fast forward about a decade, and I was with our first team in Havana, Cuba, and uh, got talking to a, a guy who was uh, in the church compound there with us, and uh, he was a pastor, and he was about my age, so young dude. Um, yeah, I know, whatever. Um, and I said, How. How did you become a pastor? Because I know your your country's history a little bit, and it was illegal to be a Christian. You know, religion was outlawed in Cuba um, really until the late 1980s, and even still today, it's not a welcome part of society in Cuba. But but then when he was when he was coming up, it was illegal. So how did you become a Christian, much less a pastor. And he said, oh, I love to read. And uh, I was in a bookstore, and uh, there was this book called The Bible. I would heard about it, but I never read it. And so I, I bought this Bible, and I began to read it. And as he's telling me the story, he's weeping, telling me how he had come to faith in Christ as he was reading this Bible. Wow. One more quick one. This one's just happened within the last year. I'm a guy at Hope I'm having lunch with. And um, he's telling me his story. And part of his story is he was raised by atheist parents. It wasn't just that they didn't believe in God. They actively believed there is no God. And they were very adamant in their atheist uh, philosophy. So that's where he was. That's how he was raised, and uh, he didn't think much about religion. Um, and then he uh, meets this young, uh, wonderful young woman. He falls in love. They get married. Um, and then he finds out well, she she really was raised a Christian. She wasn't really active in her faith. But then they had children, and all of a sudden, his wife is interested in church. He's like, fine. Um, so he begins to go to church with her, and he's intrigued by the sermons that he's hearing. And so he starts talking to the pastor, and uh, the pastor invites him uh, to meet with him to to read the Bible. And he said, you know, I was just so enamored with Jesus and so forth, and so it was because I got to know what Jesus said and taught through the Scriptures that when I was... Offered the opportunity to make Jesus my Savior, it was an easy step for me. It's the power of God's Word to change a heart. So, when you have the power of the resurrected Jesus, fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit, informed by the Word of God, amazing things can happen. All right, so what happens next? We've got the people out there, they're drunk. No, they're not drunk. Peter tells the story through Scripture about Jesus the Messiah. Now verse 38. Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and your children, to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, sort of like right now, um, strongly urging all the listeners, save yourselves from this crooked and corrupt generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to this church that day about 3000 in all so 3000 people saw this thing or well more than that but 3000 saw what had happened with the little group of Christ followers they listened to the word They heard the challenge, and they accepted the challenge. And the church was birthed. And it went from 120 to 3,000. And so I was thinking about that and thinking about this little platoon of Christ followers here in Mount Laurel. And wonder if we're able to think about God outside of our box. I hear, I get asked a bunch, how's Mount Laurel doing? How's the church of Mount Laurel doing? And my response is always, I think they're doing great. I'd love to see more people coming. But frankly, I'd love to see more people coming to Voorhees. I always want to see more people coming. I've never been at a point in my ministry where I've said, that's enough. We have enough people coming. So yeah, I'd love to see more people coming. But beyond that, what I'm seeing in Mount Laurel is a group of people who are committed to being the church in that place. Who are going into a school sort of like we did 20 some years ago. And I see their enthusiasm. I feel their enthusiasm. I feel and see their commitment. And I believe that God has us there for a purpose. And I don't think it's just for us, I don't think we're here just for us. I think that God wants to do something out of the box. Here, with us and through us. That's why he called us here. You know, he didn't call us here uh, to just be a place for folks who are already coming to hope who happen to live in Mount Laurel, but that we could reach a population in this area that are currently unreached. That's what I believe. That's what I think this enterprise is about. And I think that as we understand that we have the power of the resurrected Jesus in us that makes a difference in us and we're fueled by the Holy Spirit that lives in you, the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that lived in them lives in you, wants to do exceedingly, abundantly more than we could hope or imagine. Wants to give us a language to be able to speak to people in this area that they can hear and understand. It's not a foreign language like Spanish, but it's still a foreign language to people who don't know. God is not out there somewhere. God is not foreign and distant God became a human being and lived among us to show us his way, to teach us his truth, and to offer us life. That's our story. That Jesus Christ was crucified, dead, and buried, and on the third day, he arose from the dead. And through that resurrection, we have new life. That's a foreign language. But as we get Fluent to be able to interpret that language to people in our area. Imagine what God can do. So that's what we're figuring out. I don't think we've figured it all out in either location, right? But we constantly try to think outside of the box. What is it that the Spirit is calling us to do? What new expressions of this faith can we bring? into this community, inviting people to come have the life-changing experience of a faith in Christ. Don't put God in a box. When you look around on a Sunday morning here, picture not just what is, but what could be. Because the same God who showed up at Pentecost is showing up here as we gather together. Amen? So let's pray together. Let's stand. And thank you to each of you who um, are making this your church home. Thank you for uh, showing up in the rain because it rains here a lot. It's not, I don't know if you know, but it's not raining in Voorhees. It's actually sunny there, so it just rains in Mount Laurel. Um, it's God testing us, I think. So thank you for, uh, for those of you who, who participate in that way. For you guys in the back who uh, uh, do this tech stuff and set up and that, thank you for that. Um, God is going to bless you. I don't know what this place is going to end up looking like, but I know God is going to bless you for your faithfulness to this opportunity, this challenge, um, this new campus. And and I am grateful and humbled uh, by your commitment to it. So God, thank you for uh, what you have done after Easter. Thank you that um, you have in store for us things beyond our own ability. Wow, thank you for bringing song into our midst. Uh, We're grateful for it all. So God, I I pray that as we seek to serve you, that you'll give us wisdom and guidance and direction, that you'll help us to see with your eyes, that you'll give us language and um, thinking outside of our boxes to be able to reach people with the good news of your son, risen and moving and alive. I ask your blessing on each one here and each one who calls this campus their home church. And now, Lord, as we go into this new day and into this new week, guide and direct our steps and we'll be sure to give you the thanks and the praise in Christ's name. And all God's people agreed and said, Have a great week.